and welcome to episode 216 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Shane, here in Denver, Colorado, and with me on the line from Devon, where do you live? Massachusetts, the Northeast. Massachusetts, from the Northeast, it's Devon O'Donnell. You might know him better as Doomwake. Dave's off this week, but weirdly... In uh, another restitching of time, we're Chrono Masters this week. Uh, you're going to be hearing from Stanislav later in the episode, as he and Devin will come back and tackle the second half segment, which we will tell you a little bit more about in a second. But Devin, how have you been, my friend? You've been busy. I know that. Very, very busy. I feel like I'm traveling through time because I recorded the second half of the episode <laughs> with Stan on Saturday, and now we're here on a, on a Monday. Uh, yeah, a lot of stuff going (laughs) Yeah, basically at this point, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you know, did some streaming over the weekend, got to cover some NRG, which we'll get into at some point. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it's been a great weekend, had a really successful stream today and, uh, yeah, it's been, you got a neon sign today. I did. I can't wait for that thing to come in. I, I thought it was pretty oh. funny when we when we were looking at the checkout. We can you can pay for express shipping, so standard shipping is three to five weeks, but you could pay an extra. Yeah, he, let me hear me out. An extra five hundred dollars to get it in two, <laughs> to get it in two to three weeks instead of three to five. Now I know that sounds like a oh, man, really so, good deal, but yeah, so you went for that, right? Of course I know. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> we know that all Twitch streamers are independently wealthy, so you've got that five hundred to spare. No, I'm hyped. I, I was I was luckily enough to be in the stream and saw some some generous donations from some of your fans, and you know immediately people push you over the the 600 sub goal, I believe, right, to get that neon sign. That is dope. Awesome support from the people out there. If you're not, you know, if if you're not watching Devin stream, it's always a good time. It's got a you know really good crew of people. I know you stream uh, during the day primarily, but it does when do you when do you stop in Eastern time? So I try to shoot for two PM start time Eastern and then end around between eight thirty and nine PM Eastern. So I try to go for about six and a half or seven hours a day. Yeah, so a lot of people can catch you. So yeah, if you can watch during your work day or during your day, if you have an interesting work schedule or something like that, or maybe you're in school, you know, check him out and then you know uh, you get home from work, and then you have some some extra doomweight time. But on this week's show, we're going to be breaking down the NRG, Nerd Rage Gaming, events from the first trials of the 2023 season. Uh, I believe we still still are the official podcast of the NRG series. So we've got a modern 10K and a Pioneer 5K to look at the metagame, the top performing decks, anything interesting, up and coming that we noticed. I hope Devin can tell me more about some of these new decks, especially in Pioneer that kind of came not out of nowhere, but I think really had kind of a breakout performance in paper this weekend, a little bit of a tease there. And in the second half of the episode, Stan comes back from what this weekend and talks to Devin about a preview of Devin's upcoming Pure Modern Tournament, talk about the classic modern decks that did well during the last one, uh, reminisce over some once-beloved strategies that might struggle to compete in a format with Modern Horizons cards. And one thing about that, I'm looking for a better name. You know, I've, I've been trying to find out, um, I talked about a little bit about this with Stan, but if anybody has any suggestions for naming the format, feel free to DM me on Twitter or or Discord or anything, because I'm looking for some ideas. Mm, some creative brainstorming. I wish I was in the chat. I'm, you know what? You know, it's funny, a little behind the scenes stuff. 
I am actually the worst when it comes to anything creative naming. I don't name any of our episodes. I don't do really any of like the writing stuff because when it comes to like, you put me on the spot where it's like, uh, we need to think of an episode title like on Wednesday night. And I'm like, uh, dive down to about- 17. <laughs> <laughs> this one's about Racto scam. You should download it. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, don't look at me. I'm glad I wasn't there to try to do some brainstorming. Let's, let's do some quick housekeeping. We've got a few new patrons. We've got Thornton R and Joshua T Thanks so much for becoming citizens of the Dive Down Nation. We do have a new review as well. Troll404 writes a decidedly non-trolling review. Even though they don't play modern, they love the show. Uh, So I'm really, I appreciate when people don't even play modern and want to hear us chit-chat about mostly modern. So thanks. Thanks for loving the content. Thanks for leaving us the five-star review. If you want to leave a review for us, you can do that through Apple Podcasts. You can also throw us some stars on Spotify. If you want to join our Patreon, if you want to be like Thornton and Josh and become citizens of the Dive Down Nation, you can go to patreon.com slash the dive down. Even a buck a week is super helpful to us and gets you access to the definitively discreet Dive Down Discord. Uh, It's always popping off in there. I know people like to say that about their Discord, but I think that our Discord is actually a really nice community uh, lots of people talking all day about magic and other things, so it's it's worth your time if you want to help keep us going. You can also just go straight to the source, go to our store, thedivedown.com slash store. You can grab some t-shirts, hats, fanny packs, all that kind of stuff. If you and oh, one thing on. about one thing about this weekend, if you really want a rhino shirt, you know, given the given the performance of rhinos this weekend, that's probably <laughs> oh, the better the best time to buy one. Yeah, get it before they sell out. The <laughs> We will more on that to come. I can't wait to talk about some rhinos. Uh, Mana traders, if you want to rent magic online cards, it's a really good way to save some cash, be really efficient. You can use the code the dive down 10 for 10% off your first two months there. And also our friends over at Barrister and Man, the code the dive down 2023 gets you 15% off your first order of grooming products, shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more. And then, of course, Nerd Rage Gaming just gives our listeners 8% off with the code DIVE8. Okay, all that out of the way. Speaking of Nerd Rage. Speaking of Nerd Rage, we're going straight back into the first events, events, really, of the Energy series. The series is back. And like I said, as far as we know, we're still the official podcast for this really awesome, primarily Midwest paper tournament and tournament organizer. And... Devin, you were involved in the broadcast this weekend. I was. Got to do some commentary on Sunday. Got to do the top four in the finals of Modern, as well as the first five rounds of Pioneer. And uh, it was an absolute blast. You know what? I've been thinking, uh, you know, recently, I've been thinking about moving. And I mean, if I do move, you know, I'm just saying, maybe move a little bit closer to where the energy events are. I can head over there. And But yeah, I, I, it was it was a blast. Yeah, I wish I still, uh, one of the few reasons I wish I still lived in the Chicagoland area, you know, one would be Dave and his awesome family and my friends there. And two would be the fact that I could go to like the multiple Mundelein nerd range gaming events and maybe, you know, make a journey up to some of the ones that are a little bit farther away, go back to Michigan, uh, up to, I, mean, I, don't, I think they might have some in uh What's the city? What's the uh, what's the state that has Minneapolis in it? That's Minnesota. Minnesota. That's it. Yeah, that one. I've never been to Minnesota. It's time to go. Me neither. But there's a pro tour coming up in Minnesota, so hopefully I'll get to go to oh, Minnesota yeah. this year. Oh yeah, I'm hoping for you as well. 
you know, before we go into the, the tournament series, I'm sure people are curious, and, I, and by people I mean myself, um, how does the broadcast work for that? Because you're not in the room. And so is it just kind of using like various online technologies to sort of put yourself in the room? Like, how are you viewing the the, the stuff that's happening on the, the table and communicating with your the crew and the other hosts and things like that? So we usually use a, a, the, I think it's called like Video Ninja or OBS Ninja or something like that, where basically it's kind of like a conference call where we have, you know, myself or the other commentators and then the screen. So whoever is, they're like screen sharing the feature match area. So we have like a live feed of the feature match area that we can see on our screen. And then essentially it's kind of just like, I think it's all done through Twitch where they, you know, you have like a certain scenes where you have like one scene with the two commentators. You have the next scene where you have the feature match area and stuff like that. So yeah, it's basically all done through, through like the Twitch platform and kind of like a, a zoom call kind of thing. Man, the production of this is probably surprisingly complex. And it's it's funny, you're watching it, you know, when I'm watching the stream and you know, people out there I'm sure watched it as well, like you you just sort of appreciate it working and just don't think about how complicated I'm sure it is to put on even the online production, let alone the in-person production at the same time. Yeah. And all like the camera feeds and all, all that stuff too, all the different camera feeds where you have like the, you know, it's there's so much going on. Yeah, and they make it look easy. Uh, the Nerd Rage uh, streams are awesome. I think they run really well, and I, I love the the commentary. The stable of people doing commentary is really awesome, including you. So I'm glad that you know they seem to focus on good talent, uh, people who make the games interesting, and you know we continually see awesome players every season. And speaking of the season, uh, this series this year is not going to be subsidized into individual seasons. The points are that are earned at these trials sort of get tallied onto just a single large leaderboard. Most of the weekends are going to have a 10K trial on Saturday and a 5K trial on Sunday. And so this year is going to have seven weekends. So we know it's down from last year. They're trying, I think, to be as efficient as possible and focus on the places that had the really good attendance from last year. So 14 total events. So this is probably a benefit for people who really can't make a ton of them. So if you can say, hey, I'm going to try to get to you know four or five, six, all seven of these, maybe I can spike one, maybe I can be consistent throughout all of them and really make a case for myself and try to get on the top of this leaderboard or win an event uh, or top two of the event of the 10k at least and we'll get to the benefits of that and and be able to attend the the championship perhaps and so the way this works is the winner of every 10k trial gets an invitation to participate in the 2023 championship so like last year it's that 16 person event it's got $25,000 in prizes and even if you don't win the 10k you earn points on towards that leaderboard and you can get one of the at-large invitations to the championship as well. And additionally, the top two players for the 10K and the winner of the 5K get invitations to the DreamHack Magic Showdown events, So, which is a nice benefit as well. And so to summarize, the 16 people in the championship at the end of the year that we'll be focusing on are going to be the six people who win the individual 10K trial. There's three people who will win the team 10K trial. There's the 2022 NRG Series champion. And then there will be six, the top six players on the at-large leaderboard will also make it. And I'm guessing that will, I mean, it has to be people who didn't win. So like if you won and you're number two, I'm guessing that'll just go to the next person uh, on the at-large leaderboard. So yeah, that's how think, it's all going to work. 
I think it might be the same for teams too. So like, for example, we have, you know, not to give a spoiler, but whoever, whoever won the open this weekend, if they were also part of a team that won the oh, team yeah. 10 K, I think it passes down. I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is first prize in each of the trials. So there's, you know, the individual trials as well as the team gets a token from, I believe it was inkling customs oh, and sweet. yep. So each, every yes. single person who wins the 10 K gets a, a, a token of their liking. So that's really awesome as well. Yeah, it takes it back to kind of the SCG series thing where people that would win those events would get a, a token for themselves. So that's always like a really rad thing to see yourself immortalized in cardboard. You know, we, we do have uh, dive down tokens that we send out to people at certain fairly low tier, and we're getting some new ones made of those. So we'll have some you know, some new tokens to be sent out to the to patrons. And yeah, it feels kind of funny to be sending yourself out in cardboard and seeing yourself in cardboard. Um, sometimes it's like, uh, I should have done a different token than a, than a spirit because it's not like people are making spirit tokens very often anymore, but you know, maybe the new ones will be more useful. Shane, you gotta, you gotta get out to one of these events so you can make a Shane Rhino token. Oh man. Well, I nicely allowed the Rhino token to go to one of my co-hosts. So you'll see what, what, how I envision myself in, uh, in paper form this time. So this weekend, we had a 10K Modern, a 5K Pioneer trial in scenic Mundelein, Illinois, outside of Chicago. And we had 281 participants for the Modern 10K. And I thought we'd first look at the overall metagame. And what we'll do, kind of like usual, is we'll look at all the decks that have like a 2% meta share or higher. And look, I, I didn't double check every last one of these deck lists to try to normalize it. But I did go through and I looked at stuff that was like, all other deck lists, which had stuff like, oh, this is actually, is it Murktide? Or this is actually uh, Golgari Yawgmoth or something like that. So I tried my best here. So let's start with the most popular deck in the room. And listeners at home, I will give you one guess at what it is. And yes, you're all correct. It is, is it Murktide? <laughs> 27. 27 players, or about 9.6% of the room, on is it Murktide? <laughs> and I will also allow you to guess the win rate of Is It Murktide, and I will give you a hint. It's very Is It Murktidey. 45.71. <sighs> How does this keep happening, Devin? I mean, it's just Jund, right? This is just Jund from five, six years ago when everybody had, you know, Termogwaves and Liliana the Veils and all, all yeah. this kind of stuff in their deck. It's it, it, The deck is basically just Jund. I mean, they're the there are people who, you know, there like there's some uh, some Isenberg tide in the top eight of our event. Uh, some very good players that really do enjoy playing the deck. But yeah, I mean, it's basically just it has the win rate of Jun. It's just blue red Jun, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because uh, Jun Stalwart, uh, our our friend Joe from uh, the Dive Down Nation, he said, "Yeah, is it just like is this just Jun like a fifty percent win rate deck by people who think it's not bad and that the win percentage is just a skill issue?" And I think that that's fair, right? I mean, I mean, Joe was also a huge Jun player. He knows from his mediocre mid-range decks. So it's one of those decks like, yeah, it's like what the win rate is maybe high 40s to low 50s across like every tournament we ever look at. And there are so many people on it that, yes, I think players who are very good with it, very skilled with it, uh, you know, we'll get some of those people trickling up to the top and we'll talk about those players in a little bit. But yeah, I mean... It's just a deck that I never, I don't want to touch because I don't feel like it ever is going to give me an edge. I feel like it's going to give players who have a lot more reps 
and probably more skill to understand how to eke out the value with these these individual cards, like a counter spell, or when to you know cast a Merc Tide, or what to do with their expressive iteration. And that's not me. Is is this a deck that you're into? Like, how do you think about your deck selection when you play modern? I know it's not your big thing anymore. Well, I mean, I like to play the decks that give that really give me um, like. <laughs> trying to think of the best way to put this, like the best nut draws, right? Like I want to play something that's doing really proactive, really powerful. Um, you know, like that's why I'm a huge fan of rhinos. I think it is the deck that has the ability to put an immense amount of pressure on. It has very good nut draws, uh, while just, you know, it has like a nice sprinkling of interaction. You know, there are plenty of decks that maybe do other more powerful things, but less interaction. So it's got like a good balance for me, but I think Merktide is just like, too much of a mid-range deck. One thing I will say that's very important with Merktide is sequencing, like making sure that, you know, what do I play Ragavan or Darcy on one? When do I play this bobble? When yeah. do I crack this fetch? When, you know, there's so many different, like really micro decisions and that takes like, you know, uh, hundreds and hundreds of reps to kind of get all of those correct. So that's why we see, you know, Merktide, the better players will typically win with Merktide. Yeah. Makes total sense. And speaking of team of Rhinos, this is the second most popular deck in the room. That's saying something. I mean, we are notably a Rhino Boys podcast. That's not just a meme. And we know that we've known that Devin's a good fit for this podcast, but being a Rhino Boys, well, fitting right in, you know, it's not just a meme for us. At least Stan and I think it's both good and fun. And Teamer was not only popular this weekend at 8.9% of the room, 25 players, but it also had a good win rate of 54%. 54.11 to be super precise. I hear a deck box opening. I, I see a rhino <laughs> token right on. Right cla- on. Uh, that's, that's not, that's not a legal magic card. My friend, <laughs> that's not an official Watsy token. The only, the only proper rhino token. <laughs> the, uh, I think an interesting thing to note about this is it's one, it's teamer, not for color. And two is that a lot of players were adding Merktide region into these lists in uh, most people had at least one of, and some had up to three. And this is something that I looked back at some previous weeks and I didn't see many people at all running Merktide. So I'm curious where everyone got on board with this kind of at the same time. So first and foremost, I want to kind of toot my own horn a little bit. I went back and did a little bit of digging, uh, pulled up a tweet from Andrea Mangucci from 2000 and it was like August, 2021. I think I might've been the first person to ever put Merktide in rhinos way, way back in the day, a couple of years ago. And, um, yeah, I kind of just played it as a one of a while back and, you know, I think it really never caught on, but I think part of what makes Merktide region so good is you are trying to like sort of you're trying to sort of fight Merktide on kind of their axis. And I think that's part of why the teamer build is so good. But Merktide Merktide region specifically in the Rhinos deck, allowing you to have this flying blocker. Um, because as a teamer deck, you don't have I guess you have Brazen Bar or Odawara, but you want to be able to like I guess the the best thing that it does is it allows you to pressure while also holding up mana because it's a two mana card, even though it's a you know big expensive delve card. And you know that's, I think, the, the best part about it. You get to go like Merktide, hold up Outburst or, you know, hold up Hardcast Force Negation if you're worried about something and you maybe don't want to tap additional, tap more mana to kind of commit to a Cascade spell. Um, when it comes to Teamer versus Four Color, I think the most appealing thing about that is depend. it really depends on the weekend, I think, more so whether or not the Merktide region decks will have Blood Moon in their main deck because, 
Yes, Leyline Binding is exceptional against Murktide, or yeah, against Murktide because it, it's able to answer Murktide region, which your deck is a little, you don't have a, a ton of answers to outside of bounce spells, which doesn't always get the job done. But Blood Moon makes Leyline Binding a lot more awkward because then you're fetching, you're, you're more susceptible to those main deck Blood Moons if those are on the case. So I think that's part of part of it as well. Yeah, that's really the only thing I can think of when it comes to Teamer versus Forkal. I don't know how much, uh, w- what your opinion on that is. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the meta, and with Murktide and with Rakdos continuing to hold, Rakdos uh, Scam, continuing to hold such a strong spot in the metagame, you know, you don't want to get Blood Moon yourself. And so if you can't beat them, join them kind of thing. I mean, like, Blood Moon's not super lights out, though, at the same time, because, you know, Murktide can play it themselves. They can easily play around it. Scam plays it itself. Burn can play around it. So it's not like a super huge meta breaker. But I think that it does make sense. Like, you know, you get easier access to hardcasting Brazenbauer for hardcasting your Force of Negations. You know, you can much more easily have double blue, which is nice. Double green for hardcasting your Endurance out of the sideboard is pretty nice, too. Because I noticed that, like, you know, when when I'm playing four or five color you do frequently have those colors as the game goes on but it doesn't always work out that way and so like sometimes you have to do like a weird triome and shock that don't give you the double pips you want and so you're kind of stuck a little bit or you're forced to uh, pitch a card out of your hand and like sort of two for one yourself for some value what do you think about so like going back to murktide really fast is you know, it's a good way to dodge like EE. It's a good way to dodge Cascade Hate. Like, but what do you think about the number? Like, you know, is this the kind of thing like I want to see one of them, so I'm going to play three and hope I draw one? Because I feel like you're not like really filling up the graveyard that quickly. But like, maybe the game's going to go long. I'm gonna. I want to see a couple of them. Like, I just really worry about drawing multiples of these early on. And not being able to interact with my opponent or not being able to, you know, cascade or something like that. I mean, I know you're not shaving cascade spells for this, but you know what I'm saying? Like you have more 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 times to get awkward draws. Yeah, I feel like two is probably the sweet spot where I would want to be. So you're not gonna draw it every single game. But the one nice thing, at least like the curve that I could envision, the best spot that the best spot that I see Murktide in is where you go like either turn one dead gun and or turn two ice if you maybe play both of those in the first two turns, and then your cascade spell is outburst. Like if you go dead gun into fire ice into outburst, that's four spells in the graveyard. So you already have a seven seven. So, you know, in spots like that where you're like specific where you're the cascade spell you draw is outburst, which puts two spells in the graveyard. And if you're playing in any interaction in the first couple of turns, that really juices up the Murktide. I agree with you. You probably don't want to really ever draw the second copy because you are very limited on actually the number of actual cards and even stuff like Brazen Borrower doesn't go to the graveyard. It's a spell on the stack, but it goes into the exile zone. So it doesn't really help you cast that Burkted region. Um, so yeah, I think if I were to play some teamer and I, I probably will be playing, you know, I, I have rhinos for sleeved up for the RCQ uh, whenever the next oh, modern yeah. one is, uh, I'll probably play two Murkted regions. Sweet. All right, up next, we have 20 players, or 7.1% on five-color Indomitable Creativity. They had about a 51% win rate. Uh, I don't have too much to say here. They look pretty similar across, like, the top 50 or so players uh, with Creativity. It's, you know, it's our vaguely combo control list, cheats out Archon. There's no, like, Atraxa or anything anymore. Like, no one's really experimenting with weird stuff. The only choice really seemed to be if people are going to, like, do some bitter reunion persisty type stuff or they're going to kind of keep it simple, uh, more to the point. And that's really about it. 
But, you know, this deck continues to perform pretty well. It's pretty pretty darn popular, third in the room here. Yeah, the one thing that I will say about the Bitter Reunion Persist stuff, and uh, it's a note, you know, based on the pre the Team of Rhinos, because Team of Rhinos gets to play Blood Moon, whereas 4-Color, 5-Color doesn't usually get to play Blood Moon. And if you expect a lot of Blood Moon as the creativity player, then Reunion Persist is a good place to kind of pivot to, because that is a way for you to put an Archon into play that doesn't, re- doesn't revolve around, you know, Dwarven Mines and stuff like that. Yeah, good point. After that, we've got uh, Rakdos Scam at 16 players or 5.7%. That had a very Rakdos Scammy win rate, about 50.5%. Nothing interesting to stay here. Uh, Scam is still scamming. After that, we've got Breach, Jeskai Breach at 13 players, 4.6% with a 57.5 win rate. You know, this has been popular at NRG events and it stays popular. Like, there's, I didn't see a lot of like value breach piles i saw just a few of those when i was digging through the list these uh, lists here were all grinding station the combo-esque builds you know grape shotting you up potentially uh, thos is oracling you up potentially so yeah uh, jessica breach staying popular at the nrg midwest series here and not only popular but a very exceptional win rate if you ask me oh yeah i mean i'll take 57 and a half percent all day yeah and the polar opposite <laughs> we have burn at 12 copies, 4.3% oh, with a 43% win rate. And look, I've been pretty vocal in that. I think I don't understand why people continue to play burn in, especially in tournaments. Like I can get it maybe for like magic online where you're blowing through some leagues. Maybe you're a good burn pilot. Maybe you're averaging like three twos here and there and like continuing to keep your head above water. But why why do you think people continue to play this deck in paper tournaments? Like breaking 45% for this deck is like the aberration anymore. Yeah, it doesn't, that's like Merktai getting to 50. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it, I don't, I'm not, I, look, look, I have liked playing Burn in the past, but I think we are clearly to the point now where it does not have the power level of these other decks and can't even really target any particular deck, I think, out there right now. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just people really love burn, and they're gonna keep they're gonna keep bringing it. But I definitely would not. Yeah, I'm not really sure if it's like a matchup thing. Like, uh, you know, is is it like if you if we look at the other top decks that we talked about, you know, I don't think Bird is good against Merktide. I think that's kind of a horrendous matchup. Um, Team of Rhinos, it's kind of close. You have Eidolon for like the turn where they go for Cascade yeah, Spell. It's pretty the play. pretty middling, I'd say. Um, so kind of mid five color creativity. If they ever get Archon to play, you lose on the spot. Just got breach. You're probably not faster than them. So it's like, what are you actually beating? Um, but coming down to, you know, back to why people insist on playing it. I mean, there are just some people who just, they just got a lava spike. You know, they, if there's a lava spike, they just got to cast it. So burner is going to burn. It's the same philosophy about people playing Jund and Merktide. You know, it's like people just want to play, they they just want to play their, their pet deck. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just want a lot of time between rounds and I understand that. That too. Also at 12 copies, though, we do have Azorius Hammer, 4.3%. This had about a 48% win rate for Azorius. When you look at Mono White, although I think there was like three copies, I thought I put this in my notes, but I did not. So No, because I think it was below 2%. I remember seeing it. Yeah, but that, that had a, like about a 60% win rate for the three or so pilots that were on Mono White. So combining them, you might get this up to about 50% for Hammer pilots. Nothing uh, spicy that I saw on these lists. 10 players on living end, 3.5%. They had only a 44.6% win rate. Amulet Titan, 
potential up and comer at 10 copies as well, 3.6%. Amulet Titan, 37.5% win rate. <laughs> I mean, the top finishing Amulet Pilot was 76th place. So not a great showing here. And it, I mean, just too much blood room in the room. Like, you know, so we look at Merktide Rhino scam. That's 24% of the, just that right there, having access to it main and sideboard. Yeah. Blood new, definitely a factor. Also, you know, I've heard a lot of Amulet Titan experts say that the Merktide matchup is just unsalvageable and it doesn't even really always come down to blood moon. It's just Everything subtlety. that the Merktide, yeah, you have subtlety, unholy heats a one for one on, on Primeval Titan, which is, you know, one mana kill your Titan that it's really hard to come back from. You have, you know, stuff like even explosives against the amulet draws. There's just, there's so many problems. It's just every single thing about the Merktide deck. It's really hard for the amulet deck to keep up. And, you know, even if, even though Merktide has a 45% win rate, it is the most played deck. You're going to see it a lot. And it's probably not 45% yep. against amulet Titan. Let me tell you that much. No, definitely not. After that, we've got eight copies of both Azorius Control, featuring Kahira, and Four-Color Elementals, so about 2.9%. Four-Color Elementals had a Four-Color Elemental-y win rate of 50%, and Azorius Control at 43.8%. These four- and five-color elemental lists seem to have solidified around, like, one Elish Norn in these lists, I will note, so that's something you take take note of, but largely these lists are staying pretty similar. Golgari Yawgmoth, Continuing to trend sort of downward at the NRG events, uh, only seven copies, two and a half percent, a 43% win rate for Yogg. A little bit sad. We've definitely seen Yogg be better in these paper events. We've seen it, you know, in the high 50s from time to time. I don't know what it says about Yogmoth right now uh, in the metagame, but yeah, I mean, people are going to have graveyard hate. They're going to have. You know, what, what, what do you think about Yogg's position in the meta right now? I don't know if you're like a huge Yogg follower or have thoughts on this. I played it a little bit. I know, I know the, uh, the specifically the matchup versus scam is a nightmare. Yeah. You know, you have, yes. the, you have fury, which kills all your mana <laughs> doors. You have Dothy Voidwalker, which shuts off your combo. You have blood moon, which unironically is actually really good against Yogg's, especially if your mana creatures are dying. So very yeah. similar to what we talked about, how, you know, Titan is nightmare or yeah. Amulet really bad against Merktide. In that same vein, Rakdos scam really good against Yawgmoth. Uh, and even the yep. Merktide matchup, I feel like, is... I, w- I would imagine Merktide's a favorite. Maybe not a huge favorite, but I have to imagine that Merktide's good against Yogg. Also, Rhinos is pretty strong against Yawgmoth as well, for sure. So that's just... It's just not great. Not great position for Yawgmoth right now. Uh, Yogg people keep on Yogging, though, because it's a, it's a fun and cool deck. And then... Somehow, Mono Green Tron, six players, 2.14% of the room, and 46% win rate. Thank you, Mono Green Tron players, for continuing to fight the good fight. I cannot do it any longer, but I, I applaud you for doing so. <laughs> Below 2%, we had 107 players, so 38.1% or so. We'll call the other pile, so that's pretty healthy. I mean, this is overall... I think like a healthy metagame at least where the most played deck in the room is only 9.6. You know, we have quite a few decks uh, between 2% and 10%, 38% kind of going into other piles. I'm pretty happy with at least just sort of the lay of the land. What are you feeling about this? 
I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, it looks pretty good. You know, you you have to imagine you're in a pretty good spot when the most played deck in the room it doesn't even doesn't even get to fifty percent win rate. So you know, you you think about you know meta games in the past where it's like you know uh, I think Eldrazi Winter and you think Hogak Summer and all these like really really uh, busted decks. We're nowhere even close to that. But like those decks would obviously all have an absurd win rate. Um, yeah, we're nowhere anywhere close to that. So I think the metagame overall is pretty good. Um, a lot yep. of, you know, in terms of deck diversity, it's pretty good as far as, you know, the actual decks, like you said, we're not seeing a <laughs> ton of innovation. It's, it's a lot of the same stuff yeah. that we've been seeing over the past five, six months, but as far as, you know, the breakdown of it and the percentage wise, uh, even win rates, none of these win rates are alarming. You know, the, the best we had was what Jeskai breach at 57, which even if, even at 57 is still pretty healthy. So I, I think everything's good. What's wild to me is that only three decks are like really better than 50% out of this whole list. Like we've got Rhinos, we've got Indomitable Creativity, and we've got Jeskai Breach are, you know, noticeably over 50. And then we've got like Scam and Four Color Elementals really are our only things that are like right around 50. And Azorius Hammer, I guess. Like if you want to include Hammer and Mono White in there, it's probably around 50. Everything else is below. So like we do not have, even though all these decks are popular, we're not seeing a tremendous amount of power level, at least being exhibited in this single tournament, of course. But now I wonder, do you think that's anything to do with? Uh, I know you know a lot of people think talk about modern. They they talk about it as a die roll format. Do you think that these win rates, you know, all hovering around fifty percent? Do you think that had a lot that a lot of that has to do with uh, with die rolls? I mean, I think it has a lot to do with probably a fairly flat and fairly well tuned meta game, both by both by Watsi and the players, right? Where it's like. I think sometimes you're, you're going to see stuff where it's like, okay, a deck is going to peak up to 55, 57%. And then the natural metagame force is like, I'm not going to play Rhinos next weekend if I'm doing like an NRG. Do you know what I mean? Like people are going to come packing with one more EE or one more uh, Lavinia or something like that, right? And then it'll just sort of naturally keep bringing that curve down a little bit. It's the things that surprise me in this, in terms of like, you know, what are we actually seeing in this format is something like Amulet Titan, which is like 37.5%. Like, what what are we looking at here? And I like your analysis where it's like, hey, when you're looking at some really tough matchups at 10% of the room, I mean, that says something, but it doesn't say something, doesn't say everything. Right. So is it is it bad luck? Is it, you know, they lost the die roll? Is it the fact that like maybe it's just not as well positioned as people thought it was? And so what I try to think about when I'm looking at this single set of data is one, it's a single set of data. And I really should be looking at multiple weeks and and month uh, months of data. And there's certainly good resources for doing that. But yeah, it's like what I like doing is when we were regularly doing these NRG series last year is seeing the trends where it's like, you know, we watched the rise of Jeskai breach and kind of, and things like Yawgmoth that kind of rose and fell and the rise of scam in paper. And it's just fun to be like, okay, well last tournament, what was it? And then what are we seeing this tournament? Are we seeing trends? Are we seeing like spikes and valleys and like, what's causing that? Like what's kind of our, uh, a pattern over time, and that's what I think. That's what I think is really fun about doing this uh, over the course of the season is is seeing what happens in the the Midwest tournament scene. Uh, you know, it's a real burn meta out there, 
as they say. But, <laughs> it always is. There, there's your burnt players. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if I actually answered. I don't know if I answered your question or not. But like, what I look for is like con- consistent outliers. Either way, right? And I think breach is one of those where it's like a consistent outlier where it it's frequently is like above fifty five percent, even though it's kind of a known entity. And maybe this was a tournament to remind people, like, hey, uh, Jeskai Breach is popular in NRGs. People understand the deck, they understand the tech, they understand how to win matchups, and so you better be prepared, or else you know you're gonna see them probably once in your tournament if you go deep or something like that. So, yeah. One last quick note on this: I know that a lot of people like to just you know we like to talk about how the Moto metagame is different than the paper metagame. Um, and I went to Goldfish just to kind of pull up you know, just just really brief numbers here. You know, we got Merktide at twelve percent, Creativity at ten percent, Hammer Time at seven, Footfalls at seven, Rakdos Scam at six and a half. And then burn Omnath Amulet right around 4%. So, I mean, a lot of the metagame, it's very, very similar to what we're seeing in paper. So it's there's not even a ton of disparity yeah. between, you know, online and paper events. And a good reminder to, if you want to practice, uh, play on Magic Online. Because <laughs> you're going to see the yep. same decks. You're going to see yep. great players. Speaking of great players, you want to get in this top eight? Of course. Let's do it. All right. So perhaps with the metagame we just talked about, the top eight was not too surprising, so we've got, let's, we're going to order of seeds. So we've got Greg Pino, 8-1, and one, on a Jund creativity build. So they were just doing the Renin 6, Fable, creativity, persist, transmogrify, control thing, cheap interaction, spell pierce, game plan, stuff like that. So Greg was our number one seed, the only 8-1 and one player. And then if you have followed NRG at all, you know the name Joseph Bernal. So... Joe is a, a very strong Chicago area player. Went 7-0-2 on a five-color creativity deck. So they, you know, of course, were not doing like the fatal push and persist. They had, you know, Teferi 3, Leyline bind, Binding. And actually, I think they, I think Joe had four spell pierce and one and two remand just to sort of, you know, get that combo control thing uh, kind of on lockdown. Spell pierce, so good, so annoying. Uh, it's It's one of those things where it's like, it's not quite like a taxi and probe where it's like, why wasn't this in every deck? But it's one of those things where like, you know, infect players like me way back in the day, we'd have like a couple spell peers to handle like the Liliana's after sideboarding type thing. And now it's to the point where it's going to be sometimes like a two, three, four of in people's main decks, because it's just so strong at doing what it does. And the efficiency basically can't be beat. We've got Ari Collins, third place on Is It Merktide, another 702 player. This looked pretty stockish to me. If you see anything that you want to call out, you let me know. But um, I'm in what I'm seeing, I don't see anything wild. We've got fourth place, Michael Cardoza on Jeskai Breach, uh, 702. No Thassa's Oracle here, so likely just doing the Grape Shot or casting like the single Lightning Bolt a number of times out of the graveyard. Fifth place, Steven Dykeman on Teamer Rhino, 7-1-1. Steven had three Fable with a Mirror Breaker and a single Murktide main deck. I have never had the opportunity, I mean, I've had plenty of opportunities, but I've never sleeved up the Fable version uh, when I've taken it to the LGS or a tournament. I've wanted to try it. It's definitely one of those things I need to experiment with because I've been playing more uh, 4-5 color Rhinos recently, but, I, and, but clearly Teamer is the way to be playing it right now, so I need to do some experimentation in my playing there. Sixth place, Sarah Shearing. On Is It Merktide 7 1 and 1? This list looked pretty stock to me. Seventh place, CJ Voj, Voji on Team of Rhinos as well, 7 1 and 1. CJ went for three Merktide and two Subtlety main deck. 
So that's a decision. I mean, I think subtlety is cool. I mean, as we talked about, I don't know if I'd be confident enough to run three Merktide, but clearly it worked for CJ going seven, one and one. Congratulations to them. Keep on Rhino in. And then eighth place, Oliver Tomiko on Teamer Rhinos, seven, one and one. Oliver also ran three Merktide. Only two Fury main deck and had three main deck Mystical Dispute, which is a move that I have seen in the past. I can appreciate Mystical Dispute also being busted. <laughs> we can see we can't play Spell Pierce, so this is this is what we get. <laughs> yeah, this is the best we get. Um, Oliver moved two Fury to the sideboard along with an additional Gemstone Caverns. Also ran twenty five land main deck uh, that does offer some good consistency. I know that back when we were talking more actively about Rhino uh, tuning, Stan and I were kind of big on running a little bit, a few more lands than some other players wanted to. It just it helps you pay for those interactive lands. It helps you have lands after you cast a Basagi or cast an Ottawara as a spell. Uh, I think it's it's good. I've never done kind of the 26 lands out of the sideboard, but Gemstone Cameron's also busted. Who knew that Modern had so many busted cards in it? You know what's really funny? When uh, Basagi first came out, I was trying a list that had, I played 28 lands, and I think I had like four Basagi, three Ottawara, and the idea was your your flood insurance was just drawing a, a bunch of Basagis. That didn't work out so well, but... <laughs> yeah i'm this gets me hyped to like be playing teamer rhinos again uh but this topic is pretty wild right we've got three teamer rhinos players we've got two creativity vert variants we've got two merc tide and a dress guy breach player it's truly rhino time um or was at least this weekend because you know like i said after this weekend i'm sure we'll see some more cascade hate in the room what are you thinking about this top eight a lot of rhinos. <laughs> I honestly, I didn't, I didn't really, uh, you know, look, if you look at the metagame, you probably wouldn't expect there to be this much disparity. Well, I mean, I guess it's like what, three copies of rhinos, two copies of Merktide. So if you kind of flip flop those, maybe it's, you know, I guess you would probably guess ideally you'd, you'd say what two, two Merktide, one rhinos. And it was kind of the, uh, the opposite there. Um, yeah, a lot of rhinos, which I think all three of these lists are are just they they have different things going on and they're they're all attacking like a different part of the metagame. Um so I think they all they all kind of I like all the lists basically is what I'm getting at. Really I all the lists look pretty good. They're all attacking different things. Like example, Oliver with the main deck disputes really targeting Murktide. Dykeman with the main deck fables really targeting the mirror match and then CJ kind of sort of in the middle, you know, with the, the three Merc tides, the two subtleties. So yeah, I like that. Um, the breach deck looks pretty good. The Merc tides, you know, again, stock what we expect. Uh, the two creative decks are pretty interesting. I think I'm not sure which one I like, which approach I like more, whether it's Jund or the five color. My guess is that if people are moving more towards team Rhinos with Besage, you're probably better off not playing Leyland binding. Cause that one's a little sketchy. But yeah, I think this is, you know, outside of the the three Rhinos decks, probably what you'd expect. Yeah, I'm into it. I wish we did see a little bit more diversity here, just for kicks. You know, it's it's never great to to see so many of the same deck in the top eight necessarily. But you know, I'm happy to see some some strong Rhinos uh, performances. And in the finals, we saw Stephen Dykeman facing Sarah Shearing, and Stephen ends up winning like a really nice finals in uh, three games, Rhino Supremacy. You were casting that match, right? Did you? What do you remember from that one? I, I was I was watching it as best I could, and I remember just being like, "Okay, well, and this is just an interesting uh, final game, and I think some good playing by uh, both our finalists." Yeah, that match was so crazy. I thought Stephen was dead to rights in so many different spots, <laughs> and he just like like endurances, game one, endurances. Well, like game one, he knew that Sarah had multiple spell pierces, so he like. 
you know, took a turn off to play a rhinos, like didn't do anything on turn three, waited till turn five to play a spell to pay for spell pierce. And just like uh, both players just played phenomenally. It was just incredible. If you got time, definitely go back and watch that incredible match to watch. Um, and even like I saw Steven also played a rhinos mirror. Just, you know, Steven, just an amazing, amazing play all weekend. It was really fun to watch Steven. Yeah. Awesome. I'll have to go watch some VODs to get some tips. I think it's one of those things where in modern, you can find yourself feeling like I have to go fast or else my opponent's going to gain such a foothold that I'm unable to recover from. But I think when you watch a player play a little bit more patiently, when they're sort of playing around someone else's held up mana, if they're doing that, your opponent's also not playing as aggressively as they can be, right? So it's kind of like, you know, do I have the time to be patient, not have my really important spells get spell pierced or counterspelled? Or, you know, what am I doing to allow myself to have the best chance to win? And like, Again, Rhinos is a tempo deck by and large. So how can you advance your own game plan while disrupting your opponent's tempo by making them hold things up? It's like there's just so many options, I think, by all these powerful decks that being patient can really pay off. And I have to remind myself of that constantly. And you mentioned the word tempo. Imagine trading three mana for your Cascade spell for one mana for their spell pierce. Like that is a, just no, a you. massive tempo loss. Exactly. Yeah, I don't want to do that. So there, <laughs> there's our modern 10K. I thought we should uh, quickly jump into our Pioneer 5K as well with our remaining bit of time. And there are 207 players here. The overall metagame wasn't super exciting. Besides the continued growth of one deck and I think the relative decline of a few more. And you know, I know that you focus more on Pioneer and your regular play and stuff, so I'm, I'm really interested in kind of your insight and feedback uh, on, on what we're going to see here. So I, again, I checked some of this data. I think the numbers are pretty darn accurate. I added some copies of decks that uh, were sort of miscategorized. We've got Rakdos midrange, 22 players, 10.6% of the field, 53.2% win rate. We've got this is the first thing that's a little bit of a surprise to me. Abzan Greasefang at 17 players or 8.5%, 51.5% win rate. This is a lot. This is a lot of Abzan Greasefang. It is. Yeah. You know, I, I necessarily didn't expect a ton of this. Um, but yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm trying to think of a reason why. But yeah, just the, you know, very, very, very powerful, very potent deck. And uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of surprising to see it in second here, though. Yeah. I mean, I think people just. Maybe they like the game plan. I think that it's one of those decks that you know we've on this pod seen it not perform super well. And we were like, well, why are people keeping jamming this? But I think the Pro Tour lists have continued to influence people's development of this deck. I think that there are realizing people are realizing the Obzon list is potentially more powerful than just kind of like Orzov or uh, Esper or like the Mardu list that people were playing. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a strong deck, and I definitely fear it. Like, if I don't have the interaction I need to stop Greasefang, like, you know, you're very likely to lose. Yeah, very, very punishing deck. It's one of those things where, you know, it doesn't, you can, if you're not prepared, you can still just kind of beat anybody just by having your nut draw. And I think that's a really important aspect of Pioneer is you got to make sure that you're doing something very proactive. Makes sense. Speaking of proactive, <laughs> we've got Lotus Field. At 16 copies, 8% of the meta, a mere 41.7% win rate. What happened this weekend? 
<laughs> I don't really know. Um, the one ex- the one exposure that we had to Lotus Field on camera was when we watched Will Kruger play against Jesse Robkin. And mm-hmm. I remember, I forget exactly. It's a classic what, energy match, by the way. It was a good match. I forgot exactly how Jesse sequenced, but she ended up resolving uh, some, I think she maybe like uh, Slaughter Games, Will's Hidden Strings. And because Will, I think Will was chose not to play the approach of the second son and chose to play a, a kill that involved literally looping peer into the abyss over and over again. There was a spot where Will just didn't have enough mana to physically combo Jesse because he got, he lost his hidden strings. So I don't know if part of that win rate is people switching to Will's version and switching away from the approach kill, but hard to say. Okay. Yeah, it does not give me hope to continue to learning Lotus Field, but I know like, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's still a really powerful game plan. I think there's just the, the core power of Lotus Field cannot be denied, but if people are prepared and have good game plans against you, then yeah, you're going to suffer a little bit. Is it creativity 14 players, 6.8% with a 50.8% win rate? This is it's likely a little bit higher when I found some other like kind of weird deck list names that were actually creativity. So like, you know, a little bit higher win rate, but you know, a little bit higher than 50%. I don't, I don't public know about serv- creativity. Public service announcement before we continue. Don't mislabel your deck on MTG Melee. <laughs> well, some are called like, is it combo and stuff yeah. like that. So like, I can forgive that. But yeah, like, I mean, I think NRG does a pretty good job of labeling their stuff on Melee. So I'm, I'm happy about that. It's not as bad as it once was where like, I did see someone, I did see a 10 rack that was yep. like, uh, <laughs> the it was like a team of rhinos <laughs> or something like that. We've got next. This is like another surprise to me. We've got Mono Green Devotion at 12 players or only 5.9%. Although Mono Green did do pretty well at a 52.5% win rate. So I think slightly better than we've seen Mono Green do recently. But it's fallen down to one, two, three, four, the fifth most popular deck in the room. Believe it or not, I'm actually not surprised at that. I think that no. every other deck in the format is getting better at adapting to Mono Green. And if you look at the Mono Green deck list, it really can't adapt that much. It's playing 15 wish targets and it's very yep. like there's only two flex spots in the main deck. So it's really hard to adapt as a green player and everybody else is adapting around you. So I I'm honestly not surprised to see this and long time coming. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's one of those decks that, like you said, people are adapting to it and it just doesn't have the ability to do the same necessarily. Like sure. You can have like maybe like one or two more fight cards or like one or two more like voracious hydras or something like that. But largely your game plan or at least your deck build is, is, is pretty stock. We've got next. Is it Phoenix making a small bit of a comeback at 10 players or 5% of the win rate, but let's excuse me, 5% of the meta, but a 36.6% win rate. Good gravy. Yikes. That's, that's bad. pretty rough. Yeah. Well, I think that's part of rough. that has to do with Lotus field being the third most played deck, because as far as I'm aware, that matchup is you're literally 0% yeah. as the Phoenix player. So that probably <laughs> doesn't help. And I would imagine eh, you're probably okay against grease fanging of removal, but Rakdos versus Lotus always a close or Rakdos versus Phoenix, excuse me, always close. But yeah, I think Lotus being, you know, 8% probably has a lot to do with Phoenix's abysmal win rate. Yeah, that was not great. Azorius Control, nine players, four and a four four point four percent, fifty percent win rate, very Azorius Control win rate. Mono White Humans continuing its decline. Eight players, three point nine percent of the meta, forty three point two percent win rate. What's happening to Mono White Humans? Um, Mono White, I, I would imagine it has to be a pretty big dog to Grease Fang because you don't really have a, like your removal spells are ossification and sorcery speed stuff. So you, it's hard to interact with Grease Fang at instant speed. 
Um, I've always been of the opinion that Mono White is not great against Rakdos. I know that there are definitely camps that think otherwise, but maybe not the best against creativity, a lot of red removal. Um, so yeah, just like, I, I think other than Lotus Field, you're not really have, you don't really have a great matchup against a ton of these other top decks. And I think that's, you know, as, as again, the metagame shifts, that's why Mono White is, uh, it's harder to find some, some, the good matchups anymore. Yeah. We've got enigmatic fires. Seven players, 3.4% at a 55.6% win rate. That's pretty good, Enigmatic Fires. I feel like we've just seen Enigmatic Fires continue to do like the you know mid-50s, but people just aren't jumping on the the Fires train. What are your thoughts on Fires? Is this a deck that you would you know, take to a tournament? Oh, yeah. I actually got it sleeved up right now. I love it. I love the deck. Um, it's actually a little surprising to see it have a, a such a high-ish win rate. Must have dodged the Lotus Field matchups because that matchup is, a, again, a, basically another unwinnable matchup. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's decent against creativity. You And that's the thing about playing Enigmatic. You have an absurdly good matchup against Rakdos. That's, that's the best part of playing it. Yeah, I love good Rakdos matchups. When in, I mean, it's not as bad as it used to be, but it's still 10.6% of the field. You're going to see it a couple times in your tournament. Sultai combo. Combo. Uh-huh. <laughs> Air combo. quotes. <laughs> so, yes. So I'm, I'm going to get your insight on this in a second. We've got, again, seven players, 3.4%, and also 55.6% uh, win rate. Probably a little bit lower than this because I did find some miscategorized decks that were down lower in the performance area. But what is this? Is this like the... Is this like Neoform, Atraxa? It seems like it sometimes has Soul Flare, sometimes doesn't. Like, what is this deck? So this is exactly what you said. This is Neoform. Now, people, I know that uh, Todd Anderson, Tandy, has been doing a ton of work on this deck. I don't think we've quite found the correct shell, and we're still, you know, we're the deck is still in its, in its infant stages, even though we're, you know, almost a month in at this point. Um, but yeah, some lists have Soul Flare, some lists don't. The ones that have Soul Flare are playing like the Zatalpa, that kind of stuff. Um, but basically, the goal is put a Delve creature into play, whether it's Tassiger, um, Soul Flare, or... It's the green one. Hooting Mandrills, one of those three into play, and then resolve Neoform, get Atraxa, and then draw a bunch of cards. You have one mana protection, like Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, Stubborn Denial, to kind of back that up. Um, yeah. yeah, that's pr- that's that's pretty much the whole deck. That's really it. So yeah, cast cast big spell on Neoform it. Yeah. Okay. Atraxa, I, do I don't know. Atraxa, good card. Yeah. Known good card, Atraxa. Uh, and then we've got Omnath Delight at five players, 2.4% of the win rate with a 45.2% win rate. And then we've got 40.6% of our players, so very similar to Modern, are under 2%, under five copies. Uh, so yeah, I mean, nothing, like I said, I mean, these are the decks I would expect, besides, of course, the newcomer Sultai combo. These are the decks I would expect, but not the order I would expect to see them. But I think we're, we're seeing people respond to the perceived and likely uh, actual power level of some of these decks. Where they, you know, we're seeing the drop of mono green, we're seeing the drop of is it Phoenix, the drop of mono white humans, but people love their Rakdos mid range. <laughs> yeah, that one's never gonna go. That one's never gonna drop. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with all all that all those sentiments. You know, like these decks are you're used to these most of these, with the exception of maybe the Neoform deck. You're probably used to all these decks at this point, but I think uh, it really has. You know, Pioneer is way more about the like the metagaming aspect. Where it's you're trying to find you're trying to find the right one of these decks for the weekend, um, and you know there's some there's some differences in lists and all that stuff. But I think the biggest takeaway for me, like you said, Monogreen on the downswing, Phoenix on the downswing, and then Lotus Field and Abzan on the upswing. I think those are the uh, the biggest takeaways from this. Yeah, let's let's uh, get through this top eight pretty quickly. I think there's a lot of stock lists here. There's a couple cool ones. 
You see uh, number one seed Richard Papierski on Is It Creativity? They went 7-0-1. Max Matteson on Is It Pyromancer? 7-1-0. I love this deck. Lots of cool ways to make tokens with cheap spells, triggering your third past Iconoclast, uh, Young Peasy, triggering Ledger Shredder, spells take advantage of all that, like Of One Mind, draws you cards. You can use Make Disappear to tax your opponent's spells, and you can sacrifice a token. So th this is how this works, right? You can sacrifice a token or a creature to make them have to pay four. You just target the same spell. Yeah, so yeah. Right, great and value. you even get the token back of the Pyromancer, which is pretty sick. Oh yeah, perfect. Casey Ryback on Rakdos Midrange, 7-1. Harry Coleman, uh, Mono Green Devotion, 6-0-2. Ryan Hayes on Is It Combo, which is a Creativity at 602. A. Adams on Sultai Combo, the Neoform deck, 6-1-1. and one. Steven uh, Dykeman, we heard this name. He runs That guy back. sounds familiar. <laughs> he, he's seventh seed with Rakdos Midrange, 6-1-1. One one. Eighth seed, Vincent McKnight, Azorius Control, 6-1-1. One one. Man, Steven Dykeman, this machine, also wins this tournament. Defeating Richard Papierski on Is It Creativity back-to-back -back tournaments. How do you do that? I can't even... Man, winning one would be enough for me. I don't think I'd be able to stick around and try to win another one, but Steven does it. Everybody's playing for second at the next event. Oh my God. I mean, he doesn't even need to go back. I mean, unless he just wants to get some money. <laughs> he, he, I mean, he, he already locked, he locked up his spot. Yeah, but what if you said? What if you told everybody that you just won every single event the entire year? You know, you can't stop now. Yeah, just do it. That's bonkers. I mean, if as long as I, I don't know where what city Stevens from, but hopefully the next one's convenient for uh, for him so he can make the trip. Because I, yeah, I'd love to see. I mean, I don't remember talking that much about Steven last season. Uh, so, but I mean, I think I definitely have heard the name. So I know that you know based on what we saw on camera. Very solid player. So I'm excited to see if uh, Steven keeps showing up to, to, to make an even more commanding lead on the standings. Because we'll do a quick standings update and then get out of here. So we've got Steven with a commanding lead, 60 points, grabs one of the six 10K showdown winner slots for the championship. We've got Sarah in second place, Sarah Shearing. Uh, she nabbed two points in the Pioneer Trial. Adds on to the 25 from Modern, gets her to second place with 27. Uh, Richard Papierski got one in Modern to add on to his 25 from Pioneer, keeps them in third. Uh, 20 points from the Pioneer Trial and three from side events. Yes, you can get NRG points from side events. Ryan Hayes is in fourth. Uh, A. Adams is in fifth after snagging two points in the Modern Trial, uh, adds to their 20 in Pioneer. So there's our top five. I'm sure we'll see some more action in the coming weekends of more of these energy trials uh, i'm glad to see that you're still doing commentary with them and uh, i'm sure we'll we'll see you on camera and doing some commentary with uh, the future events for the nrg series and we of course will be waiting to talk about them on here in the dive down any final thoughts about pioneer before we move on what, what would you what would you be you play a lot of pioneer if you I wanted do. to win an event this coming weekend what would you be playing uh, my heart is telling me enigmatic fires, but I, my brain should probably be telling me Absan Grease Fang. Yeah. Just, just Grease Fang them out. Just get greasy. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. That deck is just too consistent. Every time, every yeah. time I think about, and I, t I think about it, I'm like, man, you know, what if sometimes they don't have it? And then every single time I play against it, it's just, they, they always have the turn three. So, you know, it's, it's very, very consistent at what it does. And it also has a good backup plan. It's a good place to be. Yeah, I think a backup plan is super key. All right, Devin, thanks for hanging out with me. And we're going to travel back in time uh, after this break when we're going to you know, hear you and Stan 
talk about your pure modern tournament, uh, kind of what it is, what inspired it, kind of what past events have been like, and I'm sure there's quite a bit more. So stay with us. All right, Stan in the house with Devin O'Donnell, the Doomwake. This is our first time recording together. It's so nice to finally meet you. We were actually in Atlanta at the same time, but we didn't even get a chance to, to chat there. But we are in the internet age, so this is how most people meet nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. Atlanta Atlanta was a, uh, a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like at this point, I'm just becoming a, a regular go, regular guest host. I think that's the, the proper terminology for it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, I, I moved to England, and there was this transition process where Dave and Shane needed a third voice. They can't do it alone. And you were an excellent fill-in, and, and now you just keep coming back. At first, I felt like you were trying to steal my friends from me. Like, <laughs> I like, would never do that. Come on. <laughs> like some kids tra- did to me in high school, trying to steal my junior high friends from me. But now here we are. In fact, because this is our first time chatting, there's a couple things I kind of wanted to chit-chat with you about casually before we get into the crux of this section, which is your pure modern tournament okay. and the pure modern format in general. The first thing I want to talk about is your namesake card, Doomwake Giant. Can you remind me, what is it about the Doomwake Giant that inspired you to basically name your internet MTG persona after? Okay, this is, uh, it's a story. It's kind of a good one. I think you're, I think you'll like this. So my second Pro Tour that I ever played in, which was Pro Tour, the it was the Block Pro Tour. It was Journey into Nyx. It was the Theros mm-hmm. Block Pro Tour. And um, I tested with Siggy, Mike Sigrist, Andre Mangucci, and then a couple of other local players. This was before Mangucci and Siggy kind of blew up and they got a little bit too big for me, you know, and then I kind of fell off the train a little bit. But anyways, we were um, in the, well, first, the, the first part of the story is... During the testing drafts, I opened, I think it was like three or four drafts in a row. I opened Doomwake Giant Pack One Pick One, and it was like the Constellation format. So it was one of the best card, well, one of the best rares in the set. The card was incredible in the format. And I, I opened it in about three or four drafts in a row. So that kind of like, you know, I was just lucky enough to open that card. And then um, Manguchi said that I kind of look like the art on the card, uh-huh. <laughs> which I, I don't know if I should take offense to that or not, but. In any case, that was the that was kind of you know part one of the story. No, not a ton of not a ton of story there. And then we're in the hotel. I think like yeah, on like Wednesday or Thursday before the tournament because we got there about a week early. And um, you know we're in the hotel. We just got back from dinner, so like you know I got got some food in me. We get into the elevator, and there was uh, it was like me, Mangucci, and one other uh, just one other individual. Uh, who wasn't on our team it was just like just a person and you know it, it, Maguchi hits the elevator button and I just I couldn't hold it and I tried to get I tried to wait till I get back to the room but I just kind of let one loose just just too much gas I, you know what I was gonna make the joke and then that's just where the story went yeah and Mangucci looked at me and he just literally like stone face just said constellation trigger and that's it that's <laughs> that's the story <laughs> well the reason I bring it up is because although my story is not as funny or memorable as yours. I have actually a little relationship with this card too. Okay. You may or may not recall Journey into Nyx was in an era when every time there was a new set, Wizards put out a series of like five intro decks. Okay. Yep. Black White Constellation Journey into Nyx intro deck was the deck I bought when I got back into Magic as an adult after like a 15 year hiatus. Gotcha. So I've got like the Black White Constellation deck and 
you know, the cardboard crack was real and just like I was just ready to buy all the cards basically 24 hours later and from there the very first like kitchen table constructed deck I bought or put together was like this black white enchantment enduring ideal deck oh okay in the end I don't think it actually in- included Doomwake Giant mm. but because he was the face card on the pack it always kind of held a special place in my heart for that reason you can't cut the sacred cows you know there's just some things that you just can't cut from your deck that's right. And I, for what it's worth, I did play Doomwake Giant at that Pro Tour. That card wasn't How my did deck. You do? How did you do? Uh, I did for, I think I was 6-2 day one, so we had a pretty good day one. Uh, funny enough, day two, actually, I think I bombed my draft. My, my deck was pretty bad. Uh, went, I think I went one and two. And then I actually got a game loss, and I think it was the second uh, round of Constructed on that day. Because I re- this was at a time where, I don't know if you remember this, but they changed like the frame on the basic lands. Mm-hmm. This was like right when they switched from the old frame to the new frame. I think it was like M15 or something like that. And they had like the new basic lands available. So I was like the day before I wanted to play with these these sweet new border basic lands or whatever. So I swapped. I was I think I was like nine forest, seven swamp or whatever. And I think I just for whatever reason accidentally did nine forest, seven swamp. But I wrote it right on my deck list. And it's funny because I noticed day one, I was like, man, I feel like I'm drawing a lot less black sources than I should be, even though we built the mana base correctly. And I just never realized it. And then finally got a, you know, finally got deck checked on day two and then got a game loss for it. So then uh, everything kind of spiraled from there. But yeah, yeah. That, that was, that was, it was, you know, it was a, it was a memorable tournament for sure. I, I have an, I have another memorable tournament story that kind of tangentially involves you. You may or may not know where this is going, but the last NRG that I played in before I moved Oh, yep. I do remember this. It was day two. It was the modern trial 5K. Mm-hmm. I'm on four color rhinoceros tribal. And I got the feature match against a hammer opponent. And you got to do commentary. And I, I, was su- I, I was super thrilled that you were doing commentary, just win or lose, because Devin, for a long time, you were the rhino guy. So I... I was excited to then watch the the VOD afterwards and just sort of like hear another Rhino player kind of like talk about my play and how I navigated an interesting matchup. And you actually, in some cases, like confirmed some of my unscientific suspicions where like I always felt that Rhinos was really good against Hammer, especially post-board. Um, and then you at one point did the thing, which is practically a meme at this point, where I was playing the full art, like new unstable Shocklands. Oh, yeah. I, like, blung, blung out my deck, <laughs> and you had to ask your co-commentator, like, is it Becky Bell? Yeah, Becky Bell. Yeah. It was Becky Bell, and you had to ask her, like, what lands is this guy playing? <laughs> like, I've never seen this before. Yeah, I think that was that was a joke that me and Mason, because I think Mason and I had commentated either it was the day before or maybe one of the events before, and that's just kind of like a running joke at this point. Whenever somebody plays a Shocklin or a Triumph that's full art, we're like, <laughs> okay, can we play the Triumph game? <laughs> right, right. So yeah, I, fortunately I won that match and I cashed the tournament. There you go. And and I I lost my win and in for top eight to the burn player who ended up winning the tournament. But still, I was so thrilled that our first unofficial encounter together was were you saying like, oh yeah, Stan's doing okay here. <laughs> <laughs> Although I guess you did identify some lines that I missed, but we still got there in the end. Do you still play rhinos ever? I I, I wanted to talk to you about rhinos just for like two minutes. Everyone knows it's my favorite deck, and we've sort of become an unofficial rhino podcast. <laughs> the right on t-shirt lately no i haven't really been to you know i haven't really been too in touch with modern over the past couple of months which you know maybe is a nice segue into talking about the, the tournament but yeah i don't know it just um 
I, well, I actually, that's, that's not true. I did play it in an RCQ a few weeks back, but that's like really the only, the, that's like the only modern exposure that I get nowadays is when I play, you know, my, my one RCQ a month, if even that, um, don't really play as much on stream. I still like the deck. I still have it built in paper. You know, I sold, I sold most of the other cards that I had for modern, but I did keep the Rhinos deck because at some point when I have our local RCQs, that is the deck that I want to play. And I, I still, I still think it's really good. And one of the best decks in the format, but yeah, I don't know. It just, I feel like I've been getting a lot more enjoyment out of other formats like Pioneer and Standard recently. For sure. Well, let's talk about Pure Modern then. The format that you helped create, I assume, or at least you, you helped put it on the map. There. So somebody actually, now that I now that you mentioned it, somebody had sent me a link to a Discord, and I think somebody had done it before. Uh, where'd it go? Now I can't, I can't find it. I have, I'm in too many Discord channels. But they, I don't remember what it was called, but they basically had already had made a Discord for it. So I don't think I was necessarily the first person. One thing that I will say, I wish I had called it something different because the uh, uh, a lot of people's like kind of get turned off at the word pure modern because, pe- you know, pure is it's, it's just kind of a weird format. So I was looking at um, like other idea, other ways to name the format. Somebody in chat has suggested the opposite of Horizon, which was Zenith, which I thought was actually a pretty good name. So maybe moving forward, we're going to have to rebrand a little bit. But yeah, I think that I was probably the first person to like stream that that big event. We had like, you know, good like three, four hundred viewers constantly throughout that. And I actually uploaded the bots to YouTube as well. Yeah, well, let's define it for now. What, what is Pure Modern? And um, I'd, I'd love to talk about like what inspired your foray into it. So the concept is, you know, theoretically, you know, if the Modern Horizons one and two, the supplemental sets, like the direct to modern, you know, products, if those had never been released and we had just been kind of on a on track to just do the standard releases of, you know, three or four sets a year into modern, the concept of pure modern, I wanted to see what a format would look like when those sets were not introduced, the direct to modern product. So it's basically just modern with the same current band list, nothing changed, all the, you know, all the nonsense is still gone. It's just the cards that are legal in Horizons 1 and 2, not legal in the format. And that includes reprints, so like Counterspell, Fire Ice, um, reprints that wouldn't otherwise be legal in modern. I think there's only one card that's in Modern Horizons 2 that was also in a standard set, and it's like some terrible four mana, like draw two cards or something. So nobody would ever play it. But yeah, reprints included. That's that 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 was kind of the concept. And just just kind of just see what happened. You know, nothing um nothing too specific else outside of that, but just kind of wanted to see what it would look like, you know. So from the sound of it, it was purely scientific and it wasn't necessarily to do with your maybe disenfranchisement with the format or was there a part of that as well a little bit of that as well you know it's funny because when modern horizons 2 first came out i played a lot you know i did a ton of brewing and there's like i played a ton of asmo decks i was kind of the i was the asmo guy for a while played a lot with those experimented with some cascade stuff but you know and that was kind of the the early days that with the brewing days as it were but as the format kind of developed over the the you know next 12 16 months or or what have you it just felt like it became a little bit stale and you know the i know that i don't necessarily have a problem with like deck diversity in the sense that i know that there's a lot of you know 10 15 20 decks that do well from week to week but it just feels like 
a lot of them kind of do the same thing, and they all include a lot of the same cards, specifically Horizons cards, Ragavan, Elementals, Urza Saga, Esper Sentinel. Like those are the most played cards in the format. So, you know, I just kind of wanted to see it. Basically, Horizons has defined the format for better or worse. And I just kind of wanted to see what it would look like had we had those other standard sets like Ledger Shredder, Fable, like these cards that really impacted modern. I wanted to see what those cards would look like in a context that didn't also include the, you know, the, the format defining Horizons cards. Yeah. And, and the reason we're talking about Pure Modern is because you're running another tournament of this format. When is that happening? That's going to be, so as of today, we're recording on Saturday, March 25th. It's in seven days from now. So it's next Saturday, April 1st, 12 p.m. Eastern. So, yeah, and it's available to all of my Twitch subscribers. So basically there's, you know, if you're subscribed to the twitch.tv slash doomwake channel, there's a discord. There should be a link in the, in on the Twitch page link. Um, there's a subcode within the discord which brings you to the Melee page. You go to the Melee page, type in the code, the entry code, and then enter it into the event. So this episode comes out on Thursday the 30th. If people are listening to this on, on right. Thursday or Friday, will they have time to sign up still? They will. Yeah, the signups, signups are available until, I think I set it on the Melee tournament page, I think I set it 15 minutes before the event. So you can sign up all the way up until 15 minutes before noon Eastern on Saturday. Nice. Okay. And from an admin perspective, what's your role in running this event? Are you participating at all? Are you strictly doing commentary? So the last time, and I'm probably going to do the same this time, I didn't participate. I really just wanted to make sure, like I'm, because, you know, I'm a a content creator. I want to create the content. So from my perspective, I would much rather like have the have the showcase of the event the way in my vision, the way that I kind of want it. So, you know, we did like had had people screen share with me in discord so we could do hand cams, um, just the overall setup, like records and and all that stuff. Um, And then, you know, obviously the commentary as well. So I won't be participating. I'll just be doing commentary. Is is there other commentators? As far as now? No, there aren't any. Uh, If, you know, maybe if if somebody reaches out to me or if, if maybe I, I haven't really thought about that. I kind of just did it all myself last time. Yeah. A lot of the people that like that I may have considered reaching out to are either busy that day or maybe they're not as interested in the format. So I'm probably going to fly solo. Listen, you can fly this plane by yourself. <laughs> You've done it before. I don't, I don't have a pilot license. Don't lie to me. <laughs> all right. So the last event of this format, and I believe that was the first one. Was in November? Yep, November. What, why wait so long in between tournaments? So in November, when I had the when I ran the tournament, I was actually still at my old job, so I was kind of still balancing the streaming and, and work life. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't I hadn't quit my job until recently, the beginning of February. So it's only been about a month and a half. So I kind of just wanted to, you know, I was really busy at work and all that stuff until I decided to go back to full time streaming, and and now. Yeah, this just felt like the right time to do it because I did want to have another one. So that's that's kind of why there was a little bit of lag in between. For sure. So when I look at these fan-made formats, I always have the same question. And that's what we're going to talk about now, which is what's actually good? So let's say I'm I'm a Twitch subscriber. I want to give it a shot. I don't want to just like go in with a brew. Right. You know, I want to, I want to crush dreams. Like that's the point. <laughs> and I thought... We can talk about just our own perspective of of this specific pool of cards, but we do have some data. And though there have been changes to the format since then, there's been uh, two sets have come out since I think the last Pure Modern Tournament. Um, 
maybe we can take a minute to look at some of the best performing decks from that November event and maybe discuss like what what works what doesn't work what, what surprises us maybe we can talk about what's missing too and, and what surprises us and uh, among the missing decks as well i have here listed out the top 13 from that event because that's a clean cut of everyone that went three two or better okay makes sense yep and the first place deck was a is, is one that we haven't as as modern players really talked about in a long time and that's elvish reclaimer titan so this is piloted by someone by the name of Oleg Baranov. And by the way, you, the listener, can look at all these decks and tournament results on an MTG Melee link that will be available in the show notes. But the Elvish Reclaimer deck, when it first emerged, it was like Titan featuring Aether Vile. We don't have any of that shenanigans here. Instead, we just have, you know, your four Titan, your four Amulets. Um, but because you put in four Elvish Reclaimer, you're also running a couple flagstones of Tarkair. Um, and then you still have that Dryad package with, with Valakit. And by and large, like this looks like an amulet deck minus Urza Saga, effectively. Right, and I think that's part of why Recla- you see Reclaimer here, because Saga gives the deck a little bit more consistency. Now, Reclaimer isn't necessarily going to... like It's not going to add consistency in terms of finding your amulets, but what it does provide you is kind of like this backup plan where you can... You know, like it's really slow, but you can go, you know, Reclaimer for T-West and then Reclaimer for a bounce lane to pick up T-West, which finds you packed, which finds you Titan. So it's kind of this engine that given enough time, you know, and if you have, let's say, maybe a Dryad in play, you can kind of speed that up by playing additional lands. But it allows you to um, go a little bit deeper when you don't have the, you know, added consistency of Versus Saga. Mm -hmm. Among the top 13, this was the only amulet deck. Not the only combo deck, but I wonder almost conceptually if in a tournament like this, trying to find the fastest combo that you can execute in a format where like there isn't a lot of data and you sort of don't know what people are going to bring, if that's actually like a potentially winning strategy is just try to like win as quickly as possible in the in the least fair way, um, oh, especially, yeah, sure. in, especially in a modern environment where we don't have like some of those safety valves that I think like help protect from unfairness. Right. You know, and that's, I think, a lot of the uh, kind of the people's knee jerk reaction to, you know, Modern Horizons, it like a for, playing a format without Modern Horizons was, like you said, the stuff like, you know, the forces, which are good at stopping combo. And then you have, you know, Fury, well, I guess Fury less so, but Solitude specifically being able to instant speed zero mana interaction like that. That kind of package deal is really good at stopping creature and spell-based combo decks, and that's why you kind of cut, you see the current modern format. There's not a lot of true combo decks. You know, you have like Living End, I guess, is probably the best example of what what a true combo deck would be defined as. But you know, the, I'm sure that you've seen this. The Living End deck sometimes just goes four four for four beatdown. That's just a thing that happens sometimes. And all of the other you know combo decks you have Breach, which has like a really good fair plan with Ragavan. You have Rhinos, which can hard cast Furies and and Brazen Borrowers and whatnot. So all these combo decks have like this added element to it because they have to in order to compete. Whereas a format like this, it and that's kind of a lot of people's maybe hesitation with the format is they don't they're, they're like they think no horizons and they immediately like oh all of these you know fast combo decks but as we look at the rest of the top 13 which we will in a little bit it's maybe a little bit more fair than you might expect yes and the second place deck is a perfect example of this i think 
Here's here's a name we really haven't said in a while, and that's Five Color Humans, played by Jacob Altman. Yeah, J- and Jacob is actually uh, a local. He goes to the, the same LGS that I go to. And, I mean, if you look at this deck list, this is basically copy-pasted from, what, 2018, the last time Humans was good? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, legitimately. Right. The, oh, I think the only addition is Adeline. But yeah. everything else here is just like, you, you even see four copies of Mantis Rider. When's the last time you saw that, then? <laughs> when I sold it to <laughs> a, a vendor. <laughs> Very typical five color humans plans for Aether Vile, like with your Thalia package, Thalia's Lieutenant, the Mantis Rider you mentioned, Noble Hierarch, and you curve out, try to interact while playing to the board and run your opponent over. And, and I, I, considering that this player went 4 uh, 1, finished in second, not the only humans deck in the tournament in general, I wonder if turn two Mantis Rider is just like a plan in this format. If people aren't going to be playing a ton of like fury or unholy heats, since they simply can't. Right, and I mean the nice thing about humans too is if you are expecting those unfair decks, like humans traditionally does have a decent plan against unfair decks. You have four main deck copies of meddling mage, four I think three or three copies of Thalia Guardian Thraben. So you have kind of that insulation. Also freebooter, the combo decks mm-hmm. generally don't have a ton of removal, so freebooter is almost just always going to stay in play. And you have a good aggressive plan. You know you have your champion of the parishes, your mantis riders, and you know the the Adeline to the top of the curve along with lieutenants. So. Yeah, pretty good place to be. Yeah, I, I wonder if even in this type of Zenith modern environment where we don't have Fury in particular, if actually like creature decks have more room to breathe. But I guess we'll, we'll look at that. The next deck is one that um, is an old favorite that we still see from time to time today, just in a very different format, and that's Grixis Shadow. And what's, I think, I, I, don't, I don't know if unique is the right word, but the way... The last couple of years of Modern have impacted this deck without Modern Horizons inclusions, right? So without Ragavan or Dragonfish Channeler, is this is playing the four Gurmog Angler along with four Ledger Shredder. Yeah, this is very akin to the, like you said, the pre-Modern Horizons 2 style decks of sh- the, the Shadow decks where they played, you know, four copies of Stubborn Denial, four copies of Drown in the Lock. It's it's much more of like, um, it's, it's much more like with... Dragon's Raid Chandler and Ragavan, you can play a little bit more Protect the Queen, where you go like turn one threat, back it up, back it up, back it up, stuff like that. And this deck is much more about like interact, 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 turn four, play an angler, hold up stub, or play a shadow, hold up stub, stuff like that. Um, and it's not necessarily trying to protect like the cheap threats as much anymore. So it's kind of like a, a slightly different take in it. And, you know, it, the, you could see the stubborn denials and more, you know, Fatal Pushes drawn in the locks to kind of supplement that. But, I mean, a lot of the cards that you're used to here, you know, Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, stuff like that, Ledger Shredder. Yeah, it, it also stood out to me that this is, even though it's playing Gurmog Angler, it's not really playing the Turbo Angler plan because it's not running Street Wraith. So you have four Thought Scour and, and, and I guess the Ledger Shredder to help fill up your graveyard. And you still have like the Ledger Shredder plus four Mishra's Bobble to try to get a Knife Trigger on turn two. But other than that, like, I don't think this deck has the resources even to do a turn two angler. Unless it's like mm. turn one fetch, turn two thought, turn one fetch, thought scour, turn two That's fetch, thought scour, angler. Four. Yeah, I guess like maybe you throw a bobble in there because fetch, yeah. fetch, thought scour. That's what, five? 
or you could do like fetch thoughts or bobble. So it is possible, but even in those situations, you're tapping two mana for your shadow on or your angler on turn two, which you'd mm-hmm. much rather go, you know, one mana angler hold up stub on turn two. That's the that's the dream scenario. Yes. And this deck, like you said, is not doing that as much. So it's it's definitely less about a really fast angler and more about like a tempo game. Right on. The fourth place deck, Rakdos mid range, and this is one that like is you actually... know who Mikey is right. This is Young Dingo. Oh, I did not know that. So yeah, Mikey Bashara, aka Young Dingo, in some ways it has uh, some vague familiarity or, or resemblance to Pioneer Midrange, except this one has Dark Confidant. This is, the, I think, the most boomer deck that I've ever seen. Just four, four Dark Confidant, four Lightning Bolt, four Terminate, you know, just... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, D- Dingo, knows, Dingo knows what Dingo wants, and Dingo will play the midrange deck if it's available. You even see two Shieldreds. Love yeah, that. Yeah, D- Dingo was his name um yeah this this is like more mid-rangey even than say um that shadow deck i think because it's like trying to tap out on three four fable of the mirror breaker shieldred is the top of the curve it's even playing like a fun of hidetsuku and and four planeswalkers three lily of the veil and one lily of the last hope i wonder if lily of the last hope is like even in this non-modern horizon environment like does that plus one even do anything except maybe like pick off noble hierarchs occasionally mm, it's not nearly as good without ragavan that's what you're saying yeah i mean probably not as good but if you expect a lot of like other like it kind of depends on what you expect people to bring because you if you think that people are going to bring a lot of other mid-range decks just like up 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 and then ultimate that's sometimes that's good enough like in a Rakdos mirror for example mm-hmm. but yeah you're probably not getting a ton of, out of the plus one Kills other confidants, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Which in this, the mirror. Th- this is the environment for for confidants. But yeah, like this is very typical of what Rakdos midrange used to be. I think, in, especially in the period between Modern Horizon sets, when it was a Blood Moon deck, but it was still trying to like find its identity. Like sometimes you'd see Skelementals, but that was like kind of a fringe. Otherwise, it was just sort of like let's play removal some Lilianas and some Blood Moons and like maybe a, a couple creatures up the curve, but just have like really good cheap interaction along the way. Yeah. And I remember like after MH1 came up before MH2, Jun was so obviously super popular because of Renin 6. So I think most of the, like most of the Rakdos mid-range decks that you saw had Renin 6 um, up until, you know, the, the MH2 stuff brought us Fury and, and all the scam cards. But yeah, this is kind of like the quintessential mid-range deck. Now, you know, this is probably a world where you are allowed to play for Confidant. It's really hard to do that in the Red and Six format, but with no Red and Six means we can maybe go back to Confidant. Yeah. So the fifth place deck is interesting because I think it's very indicative of a strategy that essentially got like nothing from any Horizons release. And that's Dredge, played by William Shaw. And this is like... Just the most basic dredge list you can imagine. Yeah, nothing. One conflagrate. I guess the one thing that is maybe a little interesting here is that it's playing Otherworldly Gaze and Thrilling Discovery as like its newest cards. Yeah, and this is actually the person who won the entire tournament. The standings, the 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 standings at the, on the page is standings after Swiss. So mm-hmm. the finals was actually Dredge versus Shadow. Dredge took it down. Um, but yeah, this is, I mean, pretty much, I, I'm not, I, I don't know if this is exactly one of Sodex's list, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was pretty close, because like you said, I don't really think that Dredge gained a ton, or even like the Dredge decks that people play now, I don't think those, they play a lot of Modern Horizons cards, so 
yeah, this is just everything you would expect, just all the dredgers, the stinkweeds, the golgaris, the creatures that come back, uh, for cathartic, for thrilling discovery, for creeping chill, just no nonsense, just all gas. In sixth place, here's a deck that we haven't talked about in a while, and that's Martyr Proc. <laughs> so this is like your your Squadron Hawk, Ranger of Eos, Sarah Ascendant, Martyr of Sands deck. Yes, this was actually um, somebody, the user in chat was uh, Pleachow, and he he loves himself a Martyr of Sands. I, you know, we, we talk about that a lot on stream. Um, but yeah, this is basically just Martyr of Sands. So I got some Squadron Hawks in here, Stoneforge with the, the no cauldron, but we still have Batter Skull Sword and Sword, the Light and Shadow yeah. and Fire and Ice. Uh, you got a Ranger of Eos package because no Ranger Captain of Eos, but we go back to the OG Ranger, which which finds us, you know, Martyr, Sarah Ascendance, uh, one Proclamation of Rebirth, a Split of Wraths. Yeah, we're, we're playing four Path to Exile, you know, no prismatic <laughs> ending, going back to Path. I don't know if that'd be better off as March, but I mean, Path is probably a little bit better if you expect Anglers. And yeah, you even see four Field of Ruin, four Ghost Quarter, just just get blow up the lands, you know, FU Tron. Yeah. And yeah, that's that that's 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 Martyr of Sands for you. You know, I don't remember the old Martyr Proc decks playing Stoneforge Mystic. I, I I feel like that's maybe kind of a, a unique a unique twist on this version. The the combination of Stoneforge Mystic plus Swords with Skyclave apparitions, like was something that I know I tried to do at one point. Um yeah, in, like squad- different stone blade packages. Squadron Hawk does give you a lot of material for, you know, your swords for Stoneforge Mystic. I'm wondering if the last time that this deck saw like a you know a decent competitive stand, I wonder if Stoneforge was still banned at that point. I know people have tried it, you know, here and there, uh, you know, over the past couple of years, but I remember for the longest time Stoneforge was banned. So I wonder if, you know, that's part of the reason maybe that people have played it before they just didn't have access to Stoneforge before. You know, I, I think that's super astute. The last time I remember playing <laughs> against Martyr Proc, I was on Is It Phoenix? And it okay. was for, uh, I believe the tournament was called an MCQ when okay. we were trying to qualify for the Mythic Championship and they were giving out the full art lightning bolts for promos. I won. Yeah, that makes sense. I won that match. Phoenix versus Martyr Proc, probably probably a pretty good matchup for Phoenix. <laughs> Just kill all your stuff. <laughs> yeah, and or, or flip them with, with Thing in the Ice. All right, so the seventh place deck, Devoted Company. So here's one that like people continue to experiment with to this day. Um, and this was out before we had the new s- equipment. I can't, I can't remember what it's called. It's from Streets of New Capenna. The, the sword? Luxier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no Luxier here, although I guess this is this is after Streets of New Capenna because we saw Ledger Shredder. Right. But it's a devoted combo infinite mana deck that tries to win with Dusquatch Recruiter and a, a single one of Walking Ballista. Yeah, and I, I think part of the reason that you don't see the Luxiers is because there's no Sagas. So mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. you know the list that play the Luxier now have like a, a little Saga package where they, they play the, uh, what's the card from Meridian? Uh, the longbow, Viridian longbow. That's like their mm-hmm. other win condition they get off Saga. Um, but yeah, this is basically, you know, four Viziers, four Devoted Druid, bunch of Mana Dorks. It even has like a weird, uh, we're going back to the OG, like Viscerous here, Kitchen Fink style stuff. There's four Kitchen Finks here because Kitchen Fink's also a good hit off Collected Company. The one interest, really interesting thing about, and I, I really hope we get to see the tournament next week is Tyvar was not released at the last tournament, and Tyvar makes these particular strategies much more potent. So I would not be surprised if somebody showed up with like a, a Tyvar devoted Druid deck. 
because I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of room for growth there, even without Urza Saga. Like if you look at the the current Devoted Druidess that people are playing right now, pretty sure the only Horizons card is is Urza Saga and maybe a copy or two of Giver of Runes. But you can kind of maybe swap those out for Screlves or, or anything like that. But yeah, really cool deck for sure. And uh, you know, Kitchen Finks. As an aside, do you like Screlve? In in what context? Just like in a general sense. Do you think it carries its weight as a replacement? giver of ruins i think so like for the most part the protection so the really the only thing that's that screlve can't do that giver does is play defense because you can go like you know block with your creature give it protection and, and have your creature survive combat you're not like in theory when you're playing defense with this deck you're usually really far behind and you're probably losing that game for the most part anyways so i think that you're not the the only times where it comes up is is that specific situation where you're playing defense and it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be that much of a difference. Right, because Skrull gives hexproof, not protection. Right. Interesting. Okay. A fun digression. Eighth place, another Grixis Shadow featuring Ledger Shredder. It it looked to me almost identical as the previous one that we discussed. It is like Yeah, same exact sixty. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, so the ninth place deck, this is when we start getting into uh the, so yeah, these are more three twos. This is a player I recognize Chris Giglio, another Rhino aficionado. Uh, here they're playing Prowess. And this is like our friend Dave's idyllic is it Prowess deck with like Sprite <laughs> Dragons, Swift Spear, Storm Scar, Soul Scar Mage, and Stormwing Entities. There's yeah, we no, s- There's no Underworld Breach even in this version. I know. And I'm actually kind of surprised that, that Chris didn't play Breach because I know he was talking about it before the event. Uh, we even got two copies of Lava Spike. Just you never know when you got to deal them three. Just those last couple of points. Yeah, this is like the OG, the classic, the where you go turn two Metamorphos into Storming Entity, the, mm-hmm. as we call the good old days. Um, probably still not as good as playing Breach. But the one thing about Breach is Breach probably a lot worse without Channeler. And we don't have access to Channeler with no Horizon. So maybe it does make sense to not play Breach. But I still might want a, a copy or two. Yeah. This reminds me of that period right before MH2 when Prowess was like tier one. And part of the debate, especially after Strixhaven came out, was whether we play Expressive Iteration or we play uh, Light Up the Stage. And here we see Expressive Iteration was still the card to go with. And I think history bore out that that was the superior card. Yeah, I, th- I think Expressive Iteration might be a little bit better. The 10th place deck, here, here's one that we certainly haven't talked about in a while, but also used to be like a serious player in the modern metagame pre-MH2, and that's Vela Marcus Turns. Maybe it had maybe it had like a moment post-MH2. I, I honestly can't remember at this point. It all kind of blurs together. Yeah, it's weird because th- so this is in this is your indomitable creativity deck of the format. And the issue with so I think there was a little bit of this before people had figured out the Archon of Cruelty. Like, why don't we just, if we're going to play Creativity, just put Archon of Cruelty into play. Um, so I think once people figured out that card, this deck kind of stopped to stop, ceased to exist, as it were. But I do remember that people, I think you're right, I think people were playing it just for a little bit post-MH2 until Archon was figured out. But the nice thing is you just have, you still get to play Fable the Mirror Breaker and you get to utilize that just as well as the current iterations of creativity do, um, getting the token and the treasure token to get you to Velomachus. 
I think the people's biggest issue with Velomachus is what, you know, if they like solitude your Velomachus, then you don't get to go off with taking turns with Saber the Moment and Time Warp. But, you know, if there's no solitude in the format to worry about, you know, even though there's no Archon, maybe this is this is a fine replacement. And yeah, I think I like a lot of what's going on here. You even have like Teferi to instant speed creativity, Teferi to protect your creativities. And uh, yeah, this is the, a lot of cool stuff going on here. We do have a burn deck. The 11th place finisher was just Boros Burn. The yeah, exact same the... Boros Burn deck you would probably just play today as well. I, I, so he has one Zergo Bell Striker, one Bowmat Courier. Courier. <laughs> Actually has a Lava Dart too. This, we have some, yeah, we... some unique choices here. Well, we discussed this. He actually, it was so funny because he, I think I featured, I think I either featured him or uh, maybe he was like a backup match in round one and he cast a lava dart and I like that there's like, you know, I immediately looked at the camera and I'm just like shaking my head because lava dart was an MH2 or MH1, I think MH1. Mm. And um, yeah, so he just like, he just cut that for a basic bound because he didn't understand the rules. So basically no, no lava dart illegal. Can't do that. Yeah. Bowman Courier is legal, but. Maybe ill-advised in a modern burn deck. <laughs> yes, it is technically legal. You are allowed to play Bowmack earlier. I don't know if I'd recommend it. Some interesting choices here, like three Rift Bolt, two Helix, uh, one Skullcrack. Yeah, some very interesting, interesting one-ups here. All right, just two more decks. And one of them is another is a Prowess deck featuring Underworld Breach. Um, but the last deck I want to mention uh, by Eggy Benny, this is Rug Delver with... Um, Hooting Mandrills and Tarmogoyf and our first sighting of Snapcaster Mage, which to me is like Snapcaster Mage is sort of like the first thing I would want to play if I was playing Modern without Modern Horizons cards. Right. Yeah. Delver. <laughs> There's a lot of this is this is the boomer deck of the format. You know, we didn't see any we didn't see any true Jun decks. I guess we saw Dingo on Rakdos, but no true Jun decks. This is as close as we're going to get to boomer in uh, in the top 13 here. But uh, yeah, four disrupting shoal, three mana link, three stub, just like a bunch of free ca- the disrupting shoal being the the uh, the Walmart force of negation, as it were. And then you got like a, a vapor snag, a spell snare, threats being you know hooting mandrels, delver, tarmogoyf, just really an expressive iteration. Of course, can't forget that card. And then super low land can only eighteen lands um, with our cantrips. Consider and thought scour. Just a really, I, I like the look of this deck a lot. This is this is a really sweet deck. So okay. You like the look of this deck, do you? Because I'm looking at these. So this this caps off our three, two or better finishers. And it almost like reminds me very much what changed with Modern Horizons cards, which is like this deck is playing a lot of cards that are bad, <laughs> like Hooting Mandrills and Disrupting Shoal and Mana Leak. Like these are not cards we want to play anymore. Um well, think about it this way, right? If you if you replace Hooding Mandrills with Burktide Region, you mm-hmm. replace Mana Leak with Counterspell, and then you replace mm-hmm. Disrupting Shoal with Force Indication, right? Yeah, and, and Delver with Ragavan. Yeah, there you go. Delver with Ragavan. Tarmogoyf with Darcy, probably, I guess. Yeah, Dar- Darcy or Ledger Shredder. <laughs> yeah, or Shredder, yeah. Clearly, this this just wants to be Murktide. <laughs> yeah, this is the this is our Murktideless Murktide. I guess we yeah. could call it that. So, like, for me, it almost, like, makes me wonder, because, you know, for the record, I'm of the opinion that Modern Horizons 2 made things better, because it, like, as we can almost see here, like, it just, like, improved on cards that we used to play that were inefficient, and it just, like, let us play with the best versions of those cards in in, in some cases, Um, or or created the best versions of those cards in in the case of, like, Ragavans and 
furies and whatnot. Is is that such a bad thing? Like that we don't have to play mana leak anymore. That we can just play counterspell. No, not at all. I mean, you know, like you said, the card quality overall has definitely significantly increased with the addition of the Horizon sets. Um, you know, like you said, you don't really people don't really play mana leak that out. The only situation where mana leak comes up is if your mana is not good enough to play counterspell. So you, I guess you have weird, you know, outliers like that. But for the most part, yeah, the card quality has significantly increased. And, you know, that's I, I think that might be that might end come like that's part of, I think, the reason that I haven't I, I think I've been out of touch with modern. It just feels like, at least in my opinion, I think the cards are too good. Like that's I, I feel like there's a middle ground between what we have currently and, you know, this pile of cards where we don't have to play as many bad cards as this, but the card, you know, we're not playing like, I think that's kind of where it feels a little samey to me, where it has, you have like, these are the cards that are the most efficient. These, you know, 20 cards or whatever are, you know, prevalent across the format. And it, it feels like it, it's just the, the cards are just a little, in my opinion, again, this is just me, you know, my, on record. Um, I, I find that they're a little bit too powerful. Yeah, I, you know, it almost like makes me think of the monkey's paw where it's like, sure, you can have counterspell, but then you will never again find yourself in that position to like maybe make a potentially interesting choice about like what is the best way to play a card that by and large would otherwise be inefficient. Like when do we make the decision between something like logic knot versus mana leak or disrupting shoal for that matter? Because um, you can always just play counterspell now and I think with the exception of maybe mana constraints, like you're always going to have that correct answer. And and we lose a little bit of like choice from getting like these hyper efficient versions, even if these hyper efficient versions were printed in alpha. So was other hyper efficient. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. How, how do we come back to square one? Essentially where we just, you know, the, the best card, the, the best version of the best card ever printed wasn't set one. Yeah. One thing I noticed, cause we have all these deck lists, no one registered junt like true red black green junt true yeah no no one to play it also there was only one tron deck but that did not perform particularly well and um the only control deck that i think i saw was george DeBoer, who will like play con- blue white <laughs> no <control> matter what <laughs> until his last breath yeah. um but but that finish two three as well so like maybe in an environment like this is also kind of hard to play control because you you don't know what you're building against exactly you you don't know the control it gets a lot of percentages in current modern because the format is very scripted you know what a lot of people are playing you know you it's the same 10 15 20 decks that you expect so it's a lot easier to metagame for current blue white control than it is to you know metagame for a format where you don't know what the heck's going on or you don't well you don't know what anybody's going to play so, you know, you kind of have to make some sacrifices and some maybe some different card choices. But yeah, George DeBoer is not going to leave home without four in our sets. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you can mess with the ban list a little bit because is Faithless Looting like so scary when you don't have some of like the MH2 cards that made it really good? Hmm. If you're only playing it in like Dredge and Phoenix, maybe? That's interesting. Yeah. See, the thing is, I I was kind of worried that Dredge would be a little bit too good without the presence of Endurance to kind of keep it in check. Um, It did end up winning the event, so I'd I'd be a little hesitant to give the winner of the event a card as good as Faithless Looting. That would be a little scary. 
So that's, that's the, that should be the prize. That's, oh, if you win the event, something. you get to unban a card. That's actually a really that's a cool idea. But then I feel like the per- the same person is just going to win the tournament over and over again. And you're just going to have this dredge deck that has like Chrome Box and Faithless Looting and uh, Skull Clamp by Narcobivas, you know, all this yeah. nonsense. The heart wants what it wants, done. You know, if I were to play in this event, I think one of the notable absences for me that I, it almost makes me think if people forgot about this deck and, and kind of forgot about how important it was right before MH2 came out. And that was Heliod combo. Heliod, yep. I was waiting for somebody to say that. Now, like, the wa- what happened to, to Life Gain Walking Ballista shenanigans? The one thing, so Heliod was very prevalent before MH2, but that was post-MH1, and the Heliod decks that were the most successful had Ranger Captain. And Ranger Captain mm. is an incredibly good part of that deck. Now, I'm yeah. not saying that you can't play Heliod without Ranger Captain, um, but you lose a lot of the the consistency because you don't get to find like you don't have ranger captain to protect your combo which also finds ballista you have like again give her runes you can switch with screll that's that's a, f- a fairly a fairly even swap there but yeah without ranger captain your collected companies are a little bit worse so you might have to find a build like i was thinking the the my kind of brain went towards a mix of Heliod and Devoted Druid. You kind of combine mm-hmm. those two decks and like, because a lot of the pieces work well with each other. You have, you know, Devoted Druid, which ramps you to Coco, which finds your Heliod pieces, which also happen to work with, you know, like Vizier plus Kitchen Things is kind of cool. So there's a lot of like interesting synergies and maybe Tyvar ties the room together. So that's probably where where I would want to work towards something along something along those lines with Tyvar. Yeah. Does the winner of the tournament get anything? Channel points? Or something. So there is a prize pool. I think I put like 125 chests. I think it was like 50 for first, 25 for st- or 50, 25, 15, 15, and then five through five through eight. So it's basically a lot of chests. And then first place gets VIP slash mod, whatever their choice uh, of the Twitch channel. Far out, far out. All right. So we're, we're actually running low on time here. A fruitful conversation about a format that is both oddly nascent and like as we talk through some of these decks like also eerily familiar and it's just like our old friends that we haven't seen in a a few years but like once we meet up with them again we just kind of pick up where we left off it's like a little vacation you know (laughs) yeah yeah any specific goals or ambitions for pure modern moving forward something that like you're experimenting with maybe with this tournament or, or where you'd like to see this type of diy tournament series go in the future Moving forward, I want to try and do them bi-monthly, I think is the the goal. Um, potentially, we might have some, like, people who play the tournament, we can, or people who watch the tournament can maybe make some suggestions on ban lists and stuff like that. Um, because I, I have heard some things about, you know, particular unbans that that might be good. Uh, may, maybe make the format a little bit, give the format some, some fresh air. But yeah, ideally, just nothing, not really specific goals in terms of what I'm looking for out of the format, just kind of want to see how it plays out. You know, maybe if it catches on, maybe it, it gets a little bit of popularity, maybe it becomes more of a played format, but I just just kind of want to see what it really at the end of the day, I just want to see what it looks like without without Horizons. That's that's really it. Do you think, at least from the first tournament, that it gave you additional insight into how this horizonless format maybe points to how we can actually continue to improve modern now whether it's like you know our conversation about like the most hyper efficient cards sort of like 
gives you this illusion of choice rather than real choice. Um, is, is there anything else that maybe you had observations about that l- was like, this is one of the benefits of, of the pure modern environment where we need to solve for this to maybe make a, a horizon colored environment a little bit more player friendly? Hmm. It's a tough question. One thing that I did notice, and I think a lot of people, again, as we talked about earlier, had this kind of premonition that the turn, if you remove horizon sets, then the, the format's going to just be about a lot of these, like really degenerate, like dredge versus Tron versus amulet. And, you know, that's not necessarily what happened. Now, granted, I will say if you played the tournament at the highest competitive level and you said, you know, you gave people a uh, you know, a prize of like whatever, a thousand dollars or twenty thousand or whatever monetary value you give them, like the most competitive tournament, people are probably going to gravitate towards those more unfair decks. So maybe it was more of a product that people just kind of wanted to play what they wanted to play. But as far as like lessons learned here that we can, you know, move on to modern, it's really tough because the card pool is just so like when you remove the horizon sets from modern. It's basically an entirely different format, you know, because of how how much play the the Horizons cards see it, it play in current modern. So it's really hard to to kind of switch lessons. But yeah, it's the format's a lot more fair than I than I initially thought it would be. Yeah, the other deck that I was thinking maybe I would want to play in this environment is old school Ponza or like pre MH two Ponza. But even that was like playing Season Pyromancer as like one of the best things you can do on turn two. And sometimes you'd see Renin 6, you'd also see Pillage, like Pillage was a Modern Horizons 1 card. So there's like all these little sneaky tech pieces that even since Modern Horizons 1 have been outmoded, kind of crazy. Kind of crazy to think about what what they've done to our boy. (laughs) Well, thank you for your time, Devin. Like, I'm sure this tournament's going to be awesome. I'm excited to watch the stream of it and maybe we can revisit what the pure modern environment looks like afterward. See if there's any additional learnings or if it is still taken down by Dredge and we do need to like ban the good graveyard cards after all. Yeah, then we're definitely not going to give him... If Dredge wins again, we're definitely not going to give him faith the slitting, let me tell you that much. All right, Devin, so where can people watch this tournament next week and find you in general? Uh, people can watch the tournament on twitch.tv slash doomwake. Once again, that's D-0-0-M-W-A-K-E. Uh, Twitter and youtube as well the the doom wake moniker and yeah it's going to be next saturday at 12 p.m eastern that's the start time uh might be you know give or take five or ten minutes but that's that's the goal sweet and that wraps up this week's show if you haven't yet make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out and if you use apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review if you'd like to reach out to us you can tweet us at the dive down all one word or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down and check out our store at the divedown.com slash store. We actually have some new designs in the works. They won't be up there when this episode is live, but keep an eye out on our Twitter or our store and you'll see those hopefully soon. As always, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down 10, all one word for 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Bear Stern Man using promo code THEDIVEDOWN2023 for 15% off your first order. And save some money on paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 for 8% off your order there. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere in Spaceplot for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and play! 
pure modern.